0: some of us, God wants to do more in and through our lives, but we can't get out of our own way. We can't relinquish our prejudices. We're telling God no, and we're just doggone it. We're determined to do whatever we want, to, and God has to validate it. We're just like Jonah.
1: This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Laurence. Today we wrap up our series titled, God's Severe Mercy. Now for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the interaction between God and the prophet Jonah. Jonah is best known for his journey in the belly of a great fish. You know the story well, no doubt. But the true theme in this Old Testament book is what happens when we choose to disobey God and do things our way. God's assignments for us are determined by what He can see, the outcomes He's designed, and we're invited to be part of God's plan. But when we reject him and choose to go another direction, he doesn't sit idly by. Jonah allowed his self-righteousness to get in the way of God's grace and mercy toward the evil Ninevites. Jonah paid a heavy price for his disobedience. Let's learn from his mistakes and choose to work and walk with God. Our text is Jonah chapter 4. Let's join Crawford right now for a brief review of last week's message, and then let's see how this series wraps up. Here's the second half of the message, Meltdown, on living a legacy.
0: Verse 5 here. So there's resistance there's resistance to God's initiative in, in reaching out in mercy and gentleness to Jonah. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till, it should, till it, uh, he should see what would become of the city. Now, this is a picture of an adult uh, pouting. This is an adult pounding. Homeboy has this meltdown, okay? It's kind of like, and I I just hate to say this, I'm not being overly dramatic. It's so like, you know, you didn't do what I told you. to. It's hot out here, so he makes this kind of crude booth to shade him, and then he just looks toward the city. God, do something. Burn it down. Strike it with lightning. You see this resistance in him. I don't like what you did. I don't like what you did. His actions are childish. Downright silly. But some of us are like that ourselves. There have been times in my life When I have thrown a little bit of an adult temper tantrum, don't get your way. Something doesn't happen. I had a friend of mine that uh, was praying about something for another friend uh, who had gotten into some trouble, and he was praying, 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 and God didn't answer his prayer the way he wanted him to. And boy, he just went off. He just said, I don't believe in intercessory prayer anymore. He just went to the extreme. And so don't say this doesn't happen to us. The expectation is not met, and Jonah's just sitting there looking, waiting for something to turn, uh, uh, to to change. Now, verse 6 says, Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant look at the tender mercy of god jonah 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 here you are you're pitching a fit buddy you're having a meltdown you you put this little little messed up shanty thing over here you're sitting out there pouting and you want me to rain down judgment on them so what does god do so god in his tender mercy says no i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a plant that will help shade you. I'm gonna help shade you. What was the message? Yeah, Jonah was glad for his own comfort. Jonah was exceedingly glad, but he missed the object lesson. The point here was that, you know, God was trying to say to him, yeah, you, you're, a little, you're, a little, you're a little duplicitous here, buddy. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're a masterful hypocrite. You're glad for your own comfort, but you, 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 don't want, you don't want the Ninevites to have relief from their judgment. But you're happy. You know, I can take you out of here because you know better. You, listen to what you just said to me. You perverted my word. You're rebuking me. I made you. I can take you out of that, but you're happy for your own comfort, right? But you're a hypocrite. You you want judgment for them. What about your own heart? You see, parenthetically, the cure for self-righteousness is brokenness. The cure for self-righteousness is humility. Once you start thinking that you deserve the blessing of God, you and I, we are in one dangerous place entitlement is the grand enemy to a healthy Christian walk we don't deserve anything from the hand of God we deserve hell we deserve eternal separation and how dare we withhold anything from anybody else that's not in our power to give them or to take away from them God has been gracious to us and we need to be merciful to others It's God saying by by, by raising up this plant you don't deserve what I'm giving to you You don't deserve it what makes you think? What makes you think? That I should withhold mercy from anybody else Well now we come to verses 7 and 8 and God continues this object lesson He says, okay, I'm going to give you some shade, but I'm going to take it away the next day. Verse 7 says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. (laughs) A worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And said, It is better for me to die than to live. Now, this is, this is so, so, ch- this is the third time in this book that Homeboy has asked God to kill him. If he can't have his way, I, I, kill me. Kill me. Evidently, he forgot, he forgot chapter two. He forgot chapter two because when he asked God to, to, to throw me overboard, and, I, and I, it's better for me to die well he changed his mind once he got into the belly of that big fish and he realized that he was headed toward his watery grave and he understood the reality of 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 death and so jonah has these extremes in his personality so once again he asked god to kill him you know after the first day god provides uh, the worm that destroyed the plant and the next day a scorching uh wind that left jonah exposed and in discomfort and so once again Once again, he wants to die. He wants to die. But notice how God responds to him in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do do well to be angry? Angry enough to die? That's what he said in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Here, here's God trying to reason with him. In other words, what he's saying, look, man, look, look, look how you're acting, buddy. Look at yourself. Look at yourself. Listen to what you're saying. You, you, you do well to be angry with me? Now, this, is, this second time around here in verse 9 is, is attached a bit to the context here. Because what what God is saying to Jonah is that, Jonah, you're more concerned about the physical, your own physical well-being than you are about the Ninevite spiritual well-being. Son, you're selfish. You are just selfish. Look at you. So, go from regret to resistance this stubbornness in Jonah self righteousness and stubbornness are two sides of the same coin you you refuse to let anybody move you and now we come to rebuke God's been patient with Jonah He lets him vent lets him pervert the scriptures and misapply them lets him pout And then God says, okay, I have a few things I want to say to you. Verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jonah. I actually believe that in these two verses, God is making three applicational statements to Jonah and to our hearts as well. The first one is this. God wanted Jonah, Jonah to see that he had no right to get angry over Nineveh or the plant because Jonah did not give life to or sustain either of them. You didn't give life to them. Point being, God is saying, I gave life to them. I give life to you. So slow your roll, man. You're trespassing. You're trespassing. You're way out of bounds, man. You're a human being, and I'm sovereign God. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to do, Jonah. That's the message here. Don't tell me how I'm supposed to relate to life. Don't give me your your set of assumptions and make them requirements for me. Stop going around acting as if you know how God works all the time. And by the way, I've met a number of Christians like that who make their set of assumptions as if you know how God works. We know nothing other than what God has clearly said in His Word. And if he hasn't clearly said it in his word, then some of us need to close our mouths because we don't know why. Stop running around talking about what is the judgment of God and what is not the judgment of God. Unless God makes that clear to us, we ought to be quiet. We need to respond to God. And that's what God is saying to Jonah. Look, man, you didn't make these plants. You didn't make your own life. You didn't make the Ninevites. I made them. And God does what He chooses and what He pleases. I think the second statement that God is making here to Jonah is that, you know, Jonah cared more for his own comfort than he did for the spiritual destiny of thousands of people. And that's why we have to search our own hearts. Sometimes our pronouncement is nothing more than camouflage self centeredness, it's a lack of compassion. We don't want to walk out of ourselves and walk away from that which we, quote, control to show the hope and the love and the compassion of our great God. Jonah, all along, all along, you're, you're, you're in it for Jonah. You're, you've been kissing narcissism all along. You think that you have to be the, the, the subject of every, of every conversation. You've got to be the centerpiece there that you have to control all the outcomes. That's not so. That's not so. And the third statement I think God is saying to him, because as you read this narrative, you go back up to verse 1, the, the audacity of Jonah to call God's sovereign work of, of, of compassion and mercy, to call that evil, just because in a measure up to your expectations. And I think the message here that God has given to Jonah in these verses is that Jonah, you're accusing me of being absurd? That's laughable. You're accusing me of being absurd for for sparing the Ninevites? Nobody. God exposed Jonah as the one whose thinking was absurd. Like I said, the book doesn't end in a good place. This is not a grand crescendo. This is the sad story of a prophet that was greatly used of God in spite of himself who could not get over his self-righteousness. Well, the book concludes, and I think it's an amazing thing. God lets Jonah sit in his angry, depressed state. That's the feeling you get here. There's no resolution. Uh, This time around, there's no repentance on Jonah's part. It's not recorded here. By the way, this this is all that we hear about the ministry of Jonah. It's not recorded. So the assumption is that he lets Jonah sit in his angry, depressed state, and he was left to contemplate and contrast his lack of compassion with God's compassion. As I come to a close here, I want to quote from Judson Mather's wonderful book called The, The The Comic Act of the Book of Jonah. Listen to these contrasts, and I quote, life for Jonah is a series of disconcerting surprises and frustrations. He tries to escape from God and is trapped. He then gives up, accepts the inevitability of perishing, and is saved. He obeys when given a second chance and is frustratingly, embarrassingly successful. He blows up and his frustration is intensified. You see, Jonah just can't get out of his own way. He just can't get out of his own way. Some of us, God wants to do more in and through our lives, but we can't get out of our own way. We can't relinquish our prejudices. We can't relinquish these things that we just want to hold on as being right. Uh, we're demanding God to endorse our direction in life, what we want to do. We're telling God no, and we're just doggone it. We're determined to do whatever we want to, and God has to validate it. We're just like Jonah. Some of us just can't get out of our own way, and that was his, that was his problem. Well, there are three lessons here, and we'll pray. The first lesson is this, as long as there is something more important than God in our heart, we will always be like Jonah, fragile and self-righteous. Did you hear what I just said? As long as there's something more important than God in our hearts, we will be just like Jonah, fragile, and self-righteous. The second takeaway from this great book is this, and that is that our ultimate pleasure and satisfaction is found in what God wants and not necessarily what we want. Did you hear what I said? It is not our desires. Our ultimate, our ultimate, our ultimate sense of satisfaction and pleasure is found in what God wants and not necessarily in what we want. Until our hearts are adjusted to the pleasure of God in surrender, we will be frustrated. And third and finally, which really relates to the second one, and that is that our thoughts, actions, and responses must be in line with God's character and intentions. Our thoughts, our actions, and our responses must be in line with God's character and intentions it's not the other way around don't make the assumption because we have desires that somehow another somehow another God has to be in line with what we want want and how we want to do it no no Crawford no Crawford how you respond what you want to do how you execute what you want to do has to be in line with the character of God and his intentions. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what is right. Who knows? Jonah could have had a had had a thousand Nineveh's where God could have used him in great, passionate, and powerful ways. Who knows? I don't know if his ministry was prematurely cut short because he pouted and would not surrender how much more could god do through all of us if we humbled ourselves and said not my will but yours be done god i want what you want no matter what there's no telling what god can do in and through your life if you lay down and just dis- detach yourselves from all of these crazy ways of thinking and these barnacles that we have and this set of assumptions and presuppositions that are not anchored in the scriptures. Life is short just making ourselves available to God. Think what he could do. Think what he can do. There's no disappointment in the will of God, but there is massive disappointment and depression and assuming that God, God will do my will. See, the key to all of this is surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It's surrendering our lives to Him. And for those of you who are listening to me right now and you're not sure that you have a relationship with Christ, Jesus Christ conquers our self-centeredness. Jesus Christ conquers our self-righteousness. Jesus Christ comes in and He cleanses us from all of our sins, and, and, and He redirects our lives and gives us hope and forgiveness and meaning. And all we have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from thy sins, and I trust you as my Savior and as my Lord. Even as we think about what's happening in our nation today, even as we think about God, God is allowing the issues of race the indignities leveled out on many in our society. He's raising that up. And what we have to do in addressing these things is not lead with what we feel and what we want, but be asking God the question, God, what do you want me to do? What is right, and how do you want me to respond? It is his heart, and it's his intentions that matter. Holy Father, we thank you for your goodness and your presence. Lord, uh, this book doesn't end with uh, shouting and rejoicing and smiles and great resolution and everything being happily ever after. Begin it ends on a somber, sober note. That the God of the universe simply will not tolerate legalistic self-righteousness. That he will just leave us where we are, even though he's used us. Oh God, may that not be our story. Teach us how to love and respond to you. Help us to know where the boundaries are in terms of our thoughts and ideas and opinions and what really is the thoughts and ideas and plans of our great God. Lord, strengthen us and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, wrapping up our series titled God's Severe Mercy. Well, in looking back over the messages in this series, you probably have a slightly different perspective about the prophet Jonah. As Crawford said in closing, Jonah's self-righteousness left him a bitter, stubborn person. How sad! He missed out on the joy of seeing the merciful hand of God work among the repentant Ninevites. Well, do you have a reaction to this series? Let us know with a quick email to livingalegacy.org. You'll find the contact us link on the left side. And just a reminder that you can take the messages of Living a Legacy with you and listen anywhere by streaming them on our website or by downloading the messages for free to your audio device. Go to livingalegacy.org. That's livingalegacy.org. Well, next week we'll launch Crawford's new series, Unmasking Satan. Now, Satan is our enemy, and we need to make sure we understand his capabilities and his limitations. Hope you'll be right back here with us. For Crawford Lared, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.